leading us in worship, and thanks, Rick, for your special this morning. Um, let's see, kids who'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow. Um, did you use this last week? <laughs> okay, that's. I figured, yeah, you probably just wandered around. I know you well, you can't hardly be still. Appreciate everyone who filled in for us as we were gone last week. Um, we, um, we went down to uh, Houston for a short time and, and back today. But anyway, appreciate Scott and, and Tim Teese and everybody filling in for Brenda and I while we were out last week. And thank you for your prayers, too. Lord just really, um, really, uh, really helped us a lot while we were down there. Had a, just out of the, all of a sudden real quick surgery for Becca, and everything's worked out really well. So anyway, just the Lord's blessings on us. I appreciate you guys' prayers for us and, and for covering for us. And before I forget to mention, Valentine's Day's fr- uh, Thursday, guys. So don't forget to get a little something for your girls. Uh, you'll be in trouble on Friday. Um, let's see. And uh, let's... Um, well, we'll talk about that another time. Um, let's see. Also, we've been, uh, you know, we decided a long time ago, been a year and a half now or something like that, that we're gonna, we, we really wanted to emphasize being in the Scriptures together. And so um, we, we decided that we were going to be in a passage of Scripture um, together every day. And in the month of February, right, yeah, in the month of February, we're in the book of Acts. So uh, this is February the 10th, and so we're in Acts chapter 10. You're following extremely well. Very bright, good-looking group, too. Also, uh, but anyway, so we're in Acts chapter 10 today. However, um, I cannot pass up the first three chapters of uh, the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. Did I say three chapters? Anyway, anyway, the, the beginning of Acts, I love it. I love this book. I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I, every time I read it, I'm just inspired. You know, uh, you know, in the early chapters, you see the devotion of the church, and you see them being devoted to, you know, uh, Scott preached for me last week, and he preached on that in Acts chapter 242 where they were devoted to prayer, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were, developed, they were devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread together. They were devoted to those things. We want to see those things in our church. We, I want to see, you know, the, the signs of, of a healthy church, the, the signs that you are, are a healthy believer, a growing believer, is that you're devoted to being in the Scriptures that you're devoted to being in prayer, that you're devoted to being in fellowship with other de- believers, that you're devoted to breaking of bread. We think that probably means in, uh, as they gather together to, uh, to be in um, uh, sharing the Lord's table together um, and taking communion together. Uh, but anyway, just in being there together in, in that fellowship and being devoted to that. But you, so you read through in the first part of Acts and then kind of the middle point, that's, that's not exactly right, kind of the, everything's going really well in the first part of Acts. The church is growing in leaps and bounds. The Lord just keeps adding to their number and, and people are just enjoying unity. And then Stephen goes and he's dragged off to the Sanhedrin, who's the ruling council of 70, who rules over the Jewish nation in, uh, in what is that, Acts chapter 8, I believe it is. And, uh, and he's drug off and he's stoned to death because um, he, boy, he gives talk about lighting him up, man. He gives quite the sermon there to the Sanhedrin, and uh, and then they cruise, they they stone him, and um, and then there is a persecution that breaks out against the church in Jerusalem, and so. Before that time, and what we're reading about today in Acts chapter 4, this is the first church, the first group of believers who were together, and it just happens in Jerusalem. This is, so far, we've just really been in Jerusalem until this, this scattering happens in Acts chapter 9. But 
Um, as we're reading together in Acts chapter 4, oh, I'm sorry, there was one other thing. So we have this incredible, great unity that's happening in the church, and, and at some point there's peace amongst them, there's unity. It's the, the scriptures seem to say that even people outside the church really respect it, and they're, they're, just a, they're really looked up to, all these Christian believers. Um, but then the stoning of, of Stephen happens, and then everything goes south. From that point on, the church and the apostles and the disciples face persecution after one group after the other. And, you know, it's just kind of like, where's it going to come from next? First, it's the Jewish leaders. It's the Sanhedrin. It's the same people who had had Jesus um, handed over to the Romans to be crucified, right? Those same people, those Jewish leaders, the high priests and their gang and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees um, and the Pharisees, all the, the scribes, all those people were just really trying to snuff out this thing called Christianity that, it, that was uh, rising up in Jerusalem. Um, and then it started coming from the Roman government. Then the Roman government started to try to put it down. And then there were even business people who were making, uh, right, who were making little idols for people. And they saw, man, if everyone becomes a Christian, they're not going to buy my idols anymore. And so they incite a riot against, uh, against some of the apostles and, and disciples there in the rest of the book of Acts. But the, the incredible thing that I love about it, no matter who it was, no matter if it was the powerful arm of the Jewish leaders, no matter if it was powerful leaders within a city, no matter if it was one of the most powerful governments that the world has ever seen uh, in the Roman government who had subdued basically all of the known world, nothing could stand opposed to the church. Uh, it, it continued. Matter of fact, everything they did to stamp it out, it just spread even more, even more effectively. And what you're going to see is people standing, and, and the disciples and the apostles especially, standing in the face of persecution, standing in the face of threats of being, uh, of being martyred, of being killed, of being stoned, uh, uh, being rioted against, standing and speaking and testifying about all that the Lord Jesus had done. Man, that inspires me. I hope that fires you up as you read it. It gets me all fired up uh, and makes me realize, too, very, very much how, ba- how badly I need to be um, emboldened by the Holy Spirit. You know, I, well, we're going to read about that here in a little bit. I'm, don't, let me not give it all away here. Take your time, preacher. Take your time, right? All right. Um, you guys are all too, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, here we go. In Acts chapter 4, let's just start reading. Let me tell you what's happened. So Acts chapter 1 ta- kind of is the, is the setup. It's talking about what happens after the end of all the Gospels. And Jesus comes, and, he t- and the, just before he leaves, he tells them, wait in Jerusalem. Why are they supposed to wait in Jerusalem? For the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they need the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out God's will, right? Never what did God intend for the people to carry out his, his will without his power. Right? Okay. Now, you and I do that all the time, right? We're guilty of this, right? Where we think that, well, we just got to muster all this. I just got to power all through it. No, it's just not true. We need the power of the Holy Spirit just as badly as these guys did in the first century. Um, so that's chapter one. Chapter two, um, we see Pentecost happen where the Holy Spirit does come. And you remember that, that thing where there was a great wind, it sounded like a great wind, and, and the tongues of fire came on every single believer. And it was, a, it was a symbol God was showing them, was demonstrating for them that the Holy Spirit had come to each individual believer. And Peter addresses to the crowd and stands up and tells them that this, is, this, is, uh, uh, this was the Lord Jesus Christ whom they crucified, and this was a sign um, that he was the one. And 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Um, chapter 3, chapter three um, Jesus, uh, uh, Peter and John uh, are going up to the temple, and a crippled man stands there, and he says, can you give me something 
Um, and they say, I love the way it says it, silver or gold, I do not have, right? Silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of, the, of uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Uh, taking by the right hand, he, he, he help, helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Jumped to his feet, began to walk, praising God, jumping, walking through the temple courts. People saw this. So then Peter again, in the second sermon, in the second part of chapter 3, addresses the crowd, says, I didn't do this. This wasn't me. Don't worship me. This, was, this, was, um, uh, th- this man was healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, um, the problem is, is that the same people who had all this problem with the Lord Jesus were afraid of the power that he was gaining, was afraid of losing their own power and their own influence, they were still around. And, and the group of them were sometimes called the council, sometimes in the, in the Bible, uh, were the Sanhedrin. This is a group of 70 people who were, 70 men, who were in charge of making ruling for, on behalf of the Jewish nation. So, um, so that's what we're going to pick up in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, please. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Okay, so they were in the temple courts, and then here comes uh, this uh, gang of the people from the temple, uh, very concerned about what was going on. They were great. Yeah, here we go. Verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. There are a couple of important points there. First is, they were concerned that the apostles were teaching people. Why were they concerned that the apostles were teaching people? Because we're going to read here a little bit later. These are uneducated men. They've never been through rabbi school. These guys weren't supposed to be teaching. Teaching was supposed to be done by the professionals, right? So, and these guys were not professionals. They were just common laborers of the day. Uh, and they were very concerned about this, and of course that they didn't teach the way they had it would taught. The second thing is they were proclaiming Jesus in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Y'all remember about the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. So here they were teaching Jesus has been resurrected, and they said, "Oh no, we think not." Okay, that's a very loose yeah, interpretation. Okay, verse three. They seized Peter and John because it, was, it was, because it was evening. They put them in jail. Okay, they put them in jail because it was too late to hold a trial that day. It was after uh, fixing to be dark um, until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. We have in the first few chapters that the church had grown to over 5,000, probably close to 10,000 people just in Jerusalem. Pretty amazing. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. This is kind of interesting. This kind of tells you who, the, um, who was in the Sanhedrin. The rulers were probably a, a good group of the Sadducees who were in kind of ruling control over the Sanhedrin in this day. The elders, there were, there were heads of families, heads of Jewish families, kind of the elderly, elder, elder men in, their, uh, in, their, in each of the, uh, their families who were represented there, and teachers of the law. These were the scribes that are mentioned so many times. These, a lot of these men were Pharisees. These are a lot of men who challenged Jesus oftentimes and say, well, the law says this. What do you say about that? And trying to trick him. Um, and then, uh, he, and then uh, Luke here is going to mention some people specifically. Annas, the high priest, was there. He was the senior high priest. And so was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest for that year. John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest family. Probably John and Alexander were probably in the high priest family. Okay, so what he's telling you is these were the upper echelon leaders in Jerusalem. And by the way, um, we know that Caiaphas and Annas were there um, in the Sanhedrin when Jesus was, um, was taken from mock trial to mock trial and whenever they turned them over to the Romans, turned Jesus over to the Romans. So these were the same people that had had Jesus turned over to be crucified, all right? They had brought Peter and John before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? 
um, there's a couple of things that we can't really get out of this in English. Um, what, he's, what they're kind of saying, they're, they're, this is kind of said contemptuously. This is basically, they're, they're, they're kind of accusing them. They're saying, you did this by some magic. You did this by some power other than God, didn't you? Uh, that's kind of what they're inferring here, that, that bringing some accusation in their questioning. Then Peter, filled with who? The Holy Spirit. That happens all the time. Uh, the, behind the scenes, directing, um, always empowering. You see, the Holy Spirit, in my mind, really is the main actor in, in the book of Acts. It is by his power, by his direction, that the church spreads and that people have the ability and the strength to stand in persecution and to speak the name of Jesus Christ, even though they're probably afraid. Okay, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Don't you love it? Okay, let me, don't lose this. Don't lose the context. Peter's standing before the same guys that crucified his leader, right? And Peter stands up before him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, says, God raised him from the dead, and parenthetically, he says, and by the way, you crucified him. Uh, Don't you love it? He just pulls no punches. Um, Knowing full well what they could do to Peter, Peter still makes this statement. I think it's so important for us to notice, and as you read on your own time, as you're reading in the book of Acts, notice how many times it says, filled with the Holy Spirit or they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit gave them words to speak, or the Holy Spirit directed them to go to this place, or the Holy Spirit did this, that, and the other. Um, we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit more, but, but notice how often it ha- happens. And Peter must have been a little bit scared out of his wits because, uh, right, if they, would, if they would crucify Jesus, who was Peter, right? He, he was nobody. You know, they, you know, they could, they could uh, kill him and no one, would, no one would probably care except for maybe the, you know, 10,000 people who'd come to believe in, what, in his message. Anyway, okay, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become a, the capstone. In other words, he's calling them out saying that you guys rejected him and now, um, he, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's now condemning you because you wouldn't accept him. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. Where else is salvation found? In no one else. There is no one else. You know, I know a lot of times um, uh, people who are believers, we, people look at Christianity out in our society and we say, oh, no, no, you can't teach this, that, you know, all roads, all paths are valid. You can't look down on other people. Uh, listen, the Bible minces no words. There is no other salvation to be found on earth except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is false. Um, you know, it'd be nice if we could all, you know, join together and join arms and, and sing in harmony about this, but this is the truth. There is salvation in no one else. And when you think about it, there can only be one means of salvation. There is only one man who is perfect, who is sacrificed, who could take on the sins that you and I committed. This is the only way to God because Jesus took on the sacrifice. Now, when you have that argument with someone, when someone says, oh, that's so narrow-minded to think that your religion is the only one that's right, you say to them, but Jesus offers salvation to anyone who would believe in him. It doesn't matter where you grew up. doesn't matter what you believed before. He offers salvation to anyone. And you tell me any of those other religions who say that. 
No, they believe you've got you've to be born into a certain way. You've got you've to be um, into a certain family. You've got you've to do these certain things. It's not that way in Christianity. It's the only, only religion like it in the world that is open to anyone. And all we have to do is believe in the name of Jesus Christ that he has taken away our sins and we are saved. Amen? For there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. I love this. Okay, you ready? Y'all, are you all sitting down? You might need to stand up. for No, it'll be all right. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Okay, just let me ask you. This is share time. Ready? Okay. <clears throat> Why were they astonished? Yeah, not smart enough to do anything. Karen, was that you? Right, they weren't educated, they were unschooled, they hadn't been to good, you know, they hadn't been little good, you know, uh, uh, preacher boy school, they hadn't been through rabbi school or any of that. They weren't scribes, they weren't Pharisees, they weren't Sadducees. These guys, most of them were fishermen and, or other trades, right, just common laborers of the day. And they were astonished because it's not how they spoke. When they spoke, there was authority and there was power and, and, and there was boldness when they spoke. And their courage to stand before them and to talk to the Sanhedrin, who were the upper echelon of all the educated people and the people of power in Jerusalem. And Peter stands there toe-to-toe making his argument with them about it is Jesus Christ through whom we must be saved. Just amazing. And they were, it says here, astonished. That that word astonished means that they, um, I'm sorry. um, That word, um, that wasn't speaking in tongues. I was just reading fast. Um, (laughs) They were astonished. Sorry about that. They were astonished. In other words, what that, what that means is that they contemplated. They thought about it for a while. They're like, what is going on here? These guys are ordinary men, and yet they stand and, and speak in power and boldness and authority. And they were, they were amazed. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. We're going to park here for just a moment, and I'm going to expand on that just a little bit. Um, these men had been in Jesus. So here's the deal. Here's what I, you know, when you read the book of Acts, it's really tempting to look at Peter and to think about Paul and Barnabas and Silas and all the gang, John even, and to look at these guys and think these are superhuman. They're not. As a matter of fact, they had far less education than you and I have. They had, you know, they had far less um, advancement as a people than you and I have. But they stood with the most advanced, the most educated, and the most pompous, actually, too, people of their time. And they made arguments that convinced some of them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible. What's the difference? I think it's found in the last part of that verse. They had been with Jesus. Okay. Yeah, I want to park here for just a moment because we really need the the Lord to speak to us about this, about this thing right here specifically. The difference in them was that they had been with Jesus. They were common. They were ordinary. They were uneducated, unschooled. There is no reason they should have this boldness, this power, or this authority. But they had it because they had been with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what an awesome thing. Now, there, there's a couple things we could say about that. Is Certainly, did they have an advantage? Yeah, they got to live with Jesus for three and a half years. You know, they bunked next to the guy when they, when they slept at night. They walked with him from road to road. They, they'd been with him. They ate with him. They, they drank with him. All this other stuff. They did all these things with Jesus. You know, they went to parties together. They went into people's homes together. They went to the temple. They heard him teach. They heard him preach. They saw him crucified. 
They had been with Jesus for three and a half years. But, <clears throat> and you and I don't have that advantage. Obviously, we, we don't have the advantage of physically being with Jesus, with physically seeing what he does and, 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 and living with his example. But what we do have that they didn't is to have a lifetime of walking with the Lord, of walking in his scriptures, and going through with the Lord day after day in a time that we can be together with the Lord day after day that we could be with him, that he might influence our lives, that he might change us like he changed Peter. You know, it's incredible. I was reading, Tim actually taught Sunday school. Tim uh, Teeson taught Sunday school for me last week, and he brought up a, just a fabulous point. He said that there, there's been, you know, in, in, in all of the Gospels, Peter and the rest of the disciples, they just kind of look like buffoons. I mean, Jesus trying to lead them and try to teach them stuff, and they never got it. You know, they were always confused. It was like they were walking in circles, and Jesus was trying to teach them. They, they never understood. Peter never was a good leader in, in any of the gospel accounts. He was never a good leader. He, was always the, he always wanted to be first. He always wanted to do first, but it was usually in the wrong direction, right? And, and he was the first to speak, and he was the first to say something wrong all the time. And then we have him standing up in Acts, and, and people are coming in droves when he can't, stands and speaks and, and explains about what's happened in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's been so much change in the life of Peter that some people have looked at, the, at, the, at these um, sermons, in Peter and, sermons in Acts and decided, this couldn't have been Peter. It must have been somebody else. No, no, it is Peter. But there's a change, and there's, been two, there's two things I want to point out to you. One is, is that he had been with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the second one is he had been emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that made all the difference, made all the difference, all right? So what does this have to do? You know, as we read the scriptures, there's a couple of things. One is you need to read it in context. You need to understand what it's saying in context. You can't take about what you think and then take a verse and say, well, this is what it means. No, you have to read it in the context of what else is going on. But the second thing you need to do whenever we read the scripture says, okay, what does that mean to me? What should I do in response to the scripture? My suggestion is this, is that you and I should desire to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should desire to be emboldened and empowered by his Holy Spirit. Because that's the way the church was built. And it's the way the church continues to be built and continues to advance today. Amen? Let me say just a couple more things about being with Jesus. <clears throat> you need to be with Jesus in your quiet time worse than you know. Let me give you some examples. How many, and let me just give you some raise of, raise of hands. How many believe that, G, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ and being in the presence of the Father is the greatest time that anyone could ever spend because he is the greatest person in all of the universe? You believe that? Okay. Yeah, true? Okay. Now, how many of you have a hard time being regularly in your quiet time? Well, why is that? You just told me what you believe, that there's no better place for you to be uh, okay, how, let me ask you another question. How many of you, and ladies, maybe this is specifically for you, but not all, not just ladies, some, some men too. How many of you believe that the Lord Jesus, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we really don't have anything to fear in this life? That he is sovereign over everything, and there's nothing in this world that we should worry about. How many of you believe that, right? How many of you worry? Yeah. What, what's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. Uh, men, and let, me, let me ask you something. Uh, let me ask you something. Uh, how many of you believe that you need to walk in, in absolute purity before the Lord and you, and you desire to walk in purity, you desire to walk in, in wholeness and purity, but struggle with lust? Right? What's wrong with you? I tell you, you've been more affected by sin 
It has damaged your mind and your spirit far more than you will ever know. And part of that time in coming to a quiet time is not just to check the box that I read my chapter today. It's not just to say, well, I had this list of things that I need to pray for and I got them done. It's to sit down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and to ask him, make what's true in the gospel true in my mind and my heart and my life. And it's that time that there's restoration. Whenever you and I spend that time with, with the Lord Jesus, it usually doesn't happen after one meeting but a lifetime of being devoted to walking with the Lord and, and asking him for his help to make these things that are true in my head true in my life, these things that I know that are true in the Scriptures, true in my life, and that work of restoration, that work of him bringing us along and making us more and more where we understand and can take deeper the gospel. That happens through days and weeks and months and years of time of being with the Lord Jesus. Amen? You need it, and so do I. You need it. And it's not just a time to check off. It's not just a time to say, read my Bible, good. Uh, prayed for the 32 things plus the missionaries. I remembered the missionaries this time, good. No, no, no. This is more than that. You know, I, I took a biblical counseling class in a seminary here last year, and the, the, the professor said something really profound. He said, if through counseling with people who are struggling, if you can get them to have a regular, daily, quiet time, you'll be the greatest counselor in the world. You see why? Because it's the Lord Jesus who heals. It's the Lord Jesus who restores. It's the Lord Jesus who does all that work to make us something that we're not today and to conquer the flesh in our lives and to give us victory over sin and to convince us and make true in our lives what we believe in our heads and we believe the scriptures to say. It only happens through being with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need it? I do. I do. All right. Makes all the difference in the world. You know the difference, too. How many of you see people who are very strong and very bold in, in their belief, and when people speak, other people listen because they just seem to have an authority uh, behind what they're doing, what they're saying? You know those kinds of people? Listen, the, all the difference between, in the world between people who are bold and, and, and have, an, uh, or have real authority in what they're saying are, are people who have walked with the Lord. And uh, you know what, I'm going to take just one more minute, moment. It just seems like the Lord may be working on us here. <clears throat> and that is this, is that, you, you know, you don't, just, you, don't just re, you don't just do this stuff, and it's not just the Bible, and it's not just prayer. It's also coming to the Lord with the things that you're struggling with, right? You, you know, you've lost someone in your life, and you're struggling with it. L listen, ask the Lord, Help me to understand this. Help me to deal with this. Help me to cope with this. You know, you, you, you've lost a child or you've lost a, a mother or a father or you've lost a, a husband or, or a wife. And, and, and just to, to, to get in with the Lord and to ask him, walk me through this. That kind of stuff builds real character and real authority to speak with. You know what I mean? Everyone has marriage problems, for example, right? People who have authority to speak about it are the people who have listened to the Lord, been obedient to what he said, walked with the Lord about the heartache of marriage trouble, right? Walked with the Lord about the hurt and come out on the other side to say, let me tell you how good the Lord has been to walk me through this, right? That's where authority and boldness come from, is walking through those difficult times with the Lord. It's not just Bible reading. It's not just prayer time. It's not just praying for the missionaries. All those things are great. Keep doing it. But walk with the Lord. Spend time with him. Amen? All right. Okay. All right. That was the introduction.
let's move on to the sermon. Not really. Okay, that's a, that's a good part of it. Okay, these men had been with Jesus. Now verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. So they kicked the guys out so they could talk about them, right? What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, as opposed to one that was not quite so outstanding, I guess. And we cannot deny it. But isn't it crazy? All the, you know, all these really great religious leaders, and all they're worried about is how can we, we try to discredit Jesus, now we want to discredit these guys. And incredible. Okay, blind, aren't they blind? leaders. But to stop this thing from spreading any farther among the people, we must warn these men not to speak any longer. I'm sorry, these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There are a couple of things I want to point out to you. <clears throat> there are a couple of places here in this uh, in this chapter, where we see the people's view of God. And here they're talking about, is it right for us to follow the commands of God or the commands of people? Basically what they're saying is, the Lord Jesus has lordship over us. He is my sovereign. He is my king. And I must follow and do his will and his command. They felt the the need to be obedient to Jesus Christ because they recognized his authority over them. I think sometimes that's lost in the church. I think that, that, you know, we spend a lot of time, and rightly so, talking about friendship with God, and that's good and right. But the other thing is that he never left his place of authority over us, right? And we should be concerned about being obedient to what he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Um, for we cannot help but speaking what we have seen or heard. You know, this is funny about people. We cannot help but speak about what we've seen or heard. If you go to a great movie, you're going to come home to your friends or your family, and you're going to what? You're going to talk about it. You eat, you know, you go to some new restaurant and the food and the service is great. You're going to do what when you get back home or around your friends? You're going to talk about it. The Lord Jesus Christ saves your soul and is redeeming your life. And you get around your friends and you get around your coworkers and you clam up, right? <clears throat> Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth that we're so afraid to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, so afraid that we'll intimidate someone, someone will ask us a question that we won't be um, we won't know the answers to. Man, Acts is a study in this, in this thing. These guys had great reason to be afraid and intimidated. And might I point out, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, let, let's keep going. After their threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculous, who he healed, healed, was over 40 years old. That cracks me up. Yeah, he, he was an old man. It's a miracle he was healed. Everyone knows old men don't get any better, right? Men, is that true? Once you turn 40, man, it's just downhill all the way from there, right? There, there is no healing after that. All right. It must have been a miracle. On their release, yeah, man. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Okay, so they let them go, and they go back to be with the, with the believers, with the other believers. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. Here's another recognition that they recognize the Lord's power and authority over them. Sovereign Lord, they addressed the Lord Jesus. They said, you made, the heaven, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father. Our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his holy one. That's from 
uh, from one of the Psalms. Um, did, did anybody see that happen? Yeah, that's what happened, right? The Roman government, the Jewish leaders all conspired against the Lord Jesus Christ, all conspired against the, uh, the, against the Lord's anointed one. It happened. And <clears throat> indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Interesting statement, isn't it? The people rebelled. The people crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They acted in evil, and God decided beforehand by his power and will that this should happen. Kind of an amazing statement about God's sovereignty, isn't it? God was not surprised when they crucified Jesus, right? Didn't shock him. He had orchestrated the whole thing by evil, by the acts of evil men. The redemption would come because of the salvation that would come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, okay, verse 29, we'll talk about that some other time. Now, now listen to their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your, spirit, your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I, I love that. I love that. There's just a couple things here I want to point out to you. The first thing that they did is, you know, it, it's real easy to get into a, a rut where all we're praying to God is, Lord, do my will. Lord, do my will. Lord, do my will. Lord, this is what I want. This is what I'd really like to see you do. Do my will. Do my will. Do my will. Um, and I, I, I want to be careful how I'm talking here. I think the Lord is very gracious with, with his response to our prayers. Yeah? I think when we pray, even about things that we would just like to see or have in our lives, I think he is a gracious father, just like, just like we like to be, you know, you who are parents like to be a gracious father or mother or, or grandfather or grandmother. We like to be gracious with our kids. I think God established that in people to be a reflection of himself. This is one of the ways I think we're created in the images of God. Um, and he likes to be gracious to us, right? But praying my will only all the time is not really what we're called to. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he, he was talking to him. He said, now, when you pray, remember that my father knows your need before you even ask. But he said, ask, right? And it will be given. But, but basically, I think what the Lord Jesus was saying perhaps was, God already knows what you need. You, go ahead and ask, but he knows what you need. But, but let's not just, don't just camp there on what you want or what you need. Let's move past that because the Lord, the Lord God is trying to do something more with you than fill your grocery list of the things that you want. Yeah? There's something more than, to God than that. He's advancing a kingdom. He's bringing about redemption to the people around you and, 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 and wants to use you in their lives to advance his kingdom in their lives and in their hearts. Amen? He's got a bigger picture than we do. And oftentimes I find the things that I want, minuscule, minor, side note, compared to what the Lord God has. And so notice what they pray here. They're not praying for their will. Because if I was praying my will and I was praying this prayer, my prayer was, would be, God, wipe out that Sanhedrin. These guys are no good. Yeah, I, we, we're tired of this threat. Well, I don't want to be killed like Jesus was. I, just take them out. That's not what they pray. They, they look at, they look at the opposition they're facing, and they're saying, give us boldness to speak anyway. A couple things. Why did they ask for boldness? Because they didn't have it, because they were... You suppose they were scared? You suppose they were afraid to speak up and open their mouths when they knew they faced the same opposition from the people who had Jesus crucified? I, I would have been, right? Every one of us should have been, right? Every one of us would, right? Right? 
And they asked for boldness. Why did they ask for boldness? Because they knew they'd been called by God to testify about what they've seen. So here we go. So what they're doing is they're not praying their will, but they're, what they're doing is they're saying, Lord, here's what you've called us to, but we're afraid. Give us boldness to do your will. Give us courage to do your will. Give us courage to speak because we know you've called us to testify about the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done. Yeah, so they prayed God's will. I, I think that's fantastic and, and a really important point is that, you know, prayer is not just about getting what we want, right? Prayer is oftentimes about listening to the Lord and, and asking what he wants us to do. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your, your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice, too, the, the dependence that they have. They, the, Lord, we need your help to do what you've called us to do. We need you to help us to speak with boldness. We know you've called us to it. We, we need you to help us to speak with boldness. We, we have the same, same issues today, don't we? They were afraid. We were afraid. They need boldness to speak. We need boldness to speak. They ask for boldness. We need to ask for boldness and courage. Okay. Verse 30, I love this. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know, I think it's amazing. Sometimes we get so scared of the Holy Spirit that we're afraid to ask for this kind of stuff. But they did, right? I like to follow the scriptures. You like to follow the scriptures? I don't see anything wrong with praying for this. Do you? Okay, moving on. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Did they ask for the place to be shaken? No, sometimes the Lord just throws in a little extra, doesn't he? Uh, But don't you love it? Can you imagine? Talk about the best prayer meeting ever, right? They met and they prayed and say, Lord, help us do your will. Give us boldness to speak because they knew that, they, that, they, that the Lord wanted them to continue to testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, but we need your boldness to do it. And when they left, the Lord shook the place where they were staying. Fantastic. What, a, what an incredible response. What an incredible thing that the Lord showed up big and, and he shook the place where they were staying. But that's not where it ends, of course. And they were all filled, here we go again, with what? With whom? with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. Let me, um, <clears throat> let me just ask you, just very practically this week, let me ask you just to take some small steps, just some small steps. First, if you're not regularly having a quiet time, regularly have a quiet time. And I'm going to give you a lot of, try to give you really practical advice, but I don't want to just to get you to focus on the mechanics of it right? I don't want to say, have a quiet time and God will bless everything that you're doing and it'll make you healthy and prosperous. Uh, Have a quiet time because you want to be in the Lord's presence. And if you don't really want to be in the Lord's presence, ask the Lord, Lord, help me to want to be in your presence. Uh, Something's broken in me. I know there is sins had a a deeper effect on me than I realized. There's times that even though I know that the that, that, that my being restored to relationship with my Heavenly Father is the best thing that's ever happened to me, sometimes I don't want to be there because sin has had a twisting effect on my soul. Yeah. And just ask the Lord, help me to do it. Help, help me to be there in your presence. Help me to be in your word. Help me to be contemplating what you're asking me to do. If you're already having a daily quiet time, let me just, let me just encourage you. Would you just add to it this week? Would you just add to it to say, Lord, would you just show me your will? 
Would you show me what you want me to do? Not about my will, not about what I want you to do for me, but what do you want me to do? In your encounter with, with friends or with coworkers or even with your children or your spouse, Lord, what is it that you want me to do here to encourage my, my children in their faith? Or what is it that you want me to do here to encourage my wife or my husband in, in seeking, Lord? What is it that, that you want me to do here with my coworker who's struggling with their, with their finances or they're struggling with their children or they're, they're struggling with lust or they're struggling with money issues? What is it, Lord, that how, how could you use me? How, how could I be of use? Give me the strength. Give me the boldness to speak. Just if you would just add that just a little bit about what the Lord wants you to do, not just about what you want him to do for you. And, and again, not with the mechanics of it all, but, um, but really what, what I like, what I, what I really love to see is for all of us to grow in a desperation and an urgency in seeking the Lord together. Amen. Privately at your homes, you individually. And then when we meet up here to really have a desperation to say, we need you, Lord, to reveal your will to us. We need you to work. We need you to give us empowerment and, and your Holy Spirit to do your will. Um, and uh, and I'd, I'd like to ask us, I'd really love to see that kind of urgency. I'd really love to see that kind of desperation and say, Lord, if you don't do this, I can't pull it off. If you don't do this, I can't do this myself. I need you, Lord Jesus, to do that. Would you do that this week? You know, I want, um, I don't want to make this a pep rally or anything, but, but um, in the end, you know, who will answer the call to seek the Lord? Who will do it? You don't have to stand up and jump around or anything, but who will answer the call to, to really seek the Lord privately and corporately here together? I'm, I'm asking you to step out and seek the Lord. Ask him about his will. Ask him in those encounters that you have with your, with your children, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your classmates. Lord, how can I be part of what you're doing outside of myself? Um, if you're not fasting, man, boy, this is a great time to, to be fasting. It's a great time to be fasting however you want to do it. And, man, this is just between you and the Lord. You do it however you want. I don't even care. But just some time that you can spend. And let me just tell you just, immediate, just really quickly. Fasting is so great for me personally because my stomach gets really hungry, right? I'm a man. I need food like every two hours, right? Uh, right? Men, you're like this, right? I mean, I, I, I don't eat Twinkies much anymore, but man, I would if I could every couple hours, you know? Um, but we need food. But when I miss a meal or when I miss a meal or two, that hunger reminds me this every time, and it's so effective. Lord, I need you more desperately then my body needs food. And it reminds me throughout the day of my desperation for God to work. Fasting is just so great in that way. And listen, you know, if you're swinging a sledgehammer every day, don't fast during that. But man, if, 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 you, if, if you can, when, it, when, when, you, when you can, let's, let's just spend some time in really truly seeking the Lord together and really developing a, a great desperation and urgency for him to work. Amen? We got to go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the examples of these men who, who were just common, ordinary men who, were, who had the same fears and the same failures that we have, but were used extraordinarily by you, Lord God. And, and so, Father, I, I just pray that you would, you would make us of people who are seeking after you with urgency, who want to be in your presence, Lord Jesus, who want to meet with you every day. And, and Lord, sometimes our, our spirits just aren't willing. Our, our, our bodies are just weak. Um, and so, Father, I just pray, give us a greater desire to be in your presence. Let us be, let people say about us like they did about Peter, 
um, and John that they had been with Jesus. And Lord God, I, I pray that you would give us the boldness to speak uh, to the people around us, to our family members, to our husbands, to our wives, uh, to our coworkers, to our classmates, to speak a word about what you've done for us, about what you've done in our lives. And I pray that we would be like the first church. How can we but speak about what you've done? Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray that you would help us to develop it, that urgency and desperation to seek you. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't. Uh, it's in the great name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Listen, you all have a great week seeking the Lord together this week. See you Wednesday if you could be here about 630.